Miniature painting and all things related. My name is Caleb Dillon. And I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. Um, and this is our brand new format of the show, episode 12 on object source lighting. Uh, the first uh, 10 episodes of the show were under an old format, and now we've changed it up. We're mixing it up, and we're trying something a little bit different. Uh, Philip, what is new with you this, this week? What's going on with you? Uh, not much. Uh, enjoying the beautiful weather. It's been quite nice, especially today. A little overcast, but very cool. Big storms rolling in. Yeah, apparently. There was a big storm a couple days ago as well. But, um, yeah, it's been nice so far. Um, trying to think there's been a few things coming up that or things that happened, but I'm drawing a blank on them right now. How about you? <laughs> um, I, I kind of feel like, and this is something that uh, I, I posted this article on Bell maybe a month or two ago, about the the pros of the, the cons of pro painting is what I call it. And um, in it, I was just sort of trying to point out some of the interesting points about working at home as a miniature painter. I transitioned full-time to miniature painting uh, back in um, January. Uh, and, and it's been pretty good, but like any sort of independent venture, I read somewhere that you work 80 hours to avoid working 40, which I agree with. It's, it's a busy, <laughs> busy, busy job. Yeah. But um, one of the things that it's allowed me to do is just have more time at home. So I find myself, and my wife probably would not agree with this, but I find myself doing more of the the the, the home duties, like you know, emptying dishwashers and that sort of thing, mowing the grass and blah, blah, blah. Stuff that I should have been doing before, but I kind of was putting off because I had a full-time job. Uh, but now because I'm at home more, I've had um, a couple of contractors in the last couple of months. We've been doing some stuff around the house. We've been having, uh, our, our libraries, we like to call it, we're having a new door mounted. And, uh, it, it feels like my house is kind of a revolving door where we have people coming in and out all the time. I have contractors in and out all the time. And it actually kind of cuts into your workflow. I never appreciated yeah. going away till the office till this started happening. Um, and I actually thought it was kind of, kind of ironic that I, started working at home to sort of have some peace and try to get away and get more stuff accomplished. But when people come in at all different hours, some of them don't even knock anymore. They just walk in because I gave them a key. And God forbid I'd be, I don't know, getting out of the shower or something. Okay, we're going to move on to On the Painting Desk. Uh, this is previously on the show, on the old show, we used to call this Sit Rep for so many of our old subscribers. Um, this is a segment of the show where we talk about what we're currently working on. Philip, what are you working on at the moment? So, currently on my desk, I've got some of the new characters for, uh, what is it, Stormcast? So, yeah. Lord Sillison on foot, um, uh, the archers, I can't remember all their names, but <laughs> I've got a couple of those guys working on, and also an Imperial Knight, so. I haven't even looked at the rules for the, the I think they're called Judicators. Um, mm -hmm. Are they, what's, have you looked at the rules at all for them? Are they better have... with the regular bow versus, like, the giant... Like, yeah, so the standard bow is has longer range. I think it's double the range, and it has rapid fire, I believe. Okay. The crossbow does as well, but it's I think it's at least eight inches less nice. and less shots. So oh, okay. I don't really understand why you take the crossbow. Um, there's like a heavy crossbow that shoots some crazy amount of attacks. Um, yeah, so I saw that's, that. But other than that, I think, from what I can tell, it looks like the long range is beneficial and all in every manner so now that points are kind of out the window um i have a, a client on my painting desk right now i've got um, wood elves for a client and on the entry it's like for eternal guard or or, or glade guard or something on the entry it says you know one or more guys can be banner bears one or more guys can be musicians and because there's no point allowance to it anymore and it doesn't change their weapons it occurred to me i was like why wouldn't you just do two or three of each in the mm -hmm. unit uh, you know and most of the time the kit doesn't allow it but in the in this particular kit, it's like um, Glade Guard. They have like four banners and like four musical instruments, and so it's it, and it's because they 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 redid the, the the sprue just when they reprinted it. They just reprinted it every time, so you get like yeah. four of them in the kit. So it occurred to me, why not just take a bunch of those guys, even though it looks a little silly uh, in terms of like a competitive nature. It might be helpful to your game because then if your musician dies, well, that's okay. You got three more. Yeah. Um, and I think the newer kids don't really do that as much. They're they're more efficient in terms of their space. Uh, they only have like one of each option. Um, but but we, you know, sort of on the same point, like you said, now that there's no points allowed, you can just 
why wouldn't you take the better weapon when there's an option allowed for that? Um, what else are you working on paint-wise? Um, so I'm actually working on some custom bases. So last week we, or two weeks ago, last session we mentioned, or I spoke about the Joan of Arc model that I was working on from oh, Infinity. Yeah. Um, and I felt that she deserved a special base. So I'm currently making one out of scratch. Uh, it's actually built, most of it's painted, and I uh, just got to do the final touches on that, and that'll be done. When so. you build your custom bases, when you say when you say build from scratch, what do you mean exactly? So with this one in particular, I'm using Plasticard. Okay. Um, so it's I've got varying levels of thin cutout um, and kind of a sci-fi pattern. I put in uh, extra bits from different things that I had, um, but it's very clean. I'm trying to make it look more futuristic, and hopefully that'll be up on my. Uh, so are you kind of putting her like when you say with? I guess what I'm trying to get at is, it, are you making her elevated? Or are you trying to like? Is she standing on like a pile of plastic card boxes, or is it more like she's standing on some scrap that's made out of plastic card? Or like, yeah, give me give me a visual. Like what's it's that? more like a, she's maybe standing on the side of a road or something. Oh, okay. But it's it's sci-fi, so it's not you know your pavement asphalt. Everything's clean. Sure. Uh, looks very you know futuristic. I guess yeah, there's yeah. Um, sort of red lighting and things on the sides to bring out edges and things to make it pop nice. even more when you say red lighting do you mean like an object source lighting effect something like that yeah nice um well that's great because that's our, our general our main topic today so mm -hmm. um for me currently aside from the the um the wood elves um i finished up the centaurs uh for one of my previous clients so those are all done and that was a fun little project because he's a long-term client that's been working with me in the past and um he's kind of special in that he has a stipend every month he pays me a flat fee and then I paint until I reach that level of the fee being done. Um, so it's one of those wonderful examples of a client-painter relationship where, you know, he has generally a little less money than, than my average clients, but he worked it out with me. He's been a client of mine for years now, so he worked it out with me that I, I get a consistent stipend from him so I can paint consistently for him and a, a little bit lower. And that's uh, on the new site when we relaunch White Metal Games 2.0, one of the options I'm going to put in there for pricing is... is uh, something like negotiating. So you kind of come to us with your budget and we sort of, because my, my notion was that I don't ever want to leave a client behind. Like I always want to sort of work with them on their budget. And if I can make it work in their budget, there might be a way to do it. And, and a lot of clients like have, uh, you know, they have, you know, they have their own budget in mind. Uh, and, and then it becomes a question of can they sacrifice their level? Can they sacrifice yeah, the, the quality for what they're hoping to achieve. I had a, a situation recently um, with a client where he went to the White Metal Games homepage and the on the old site, uh, we used to have rates that were, um, uh, basically it was the retail cost of the model. So a box of Marines for $40, we would, we would paint and assemble for $40. And I think a lot of painters do that when they first get started because yeah. they don't really know how to price out. And um, we quickly learned that this pricing model fell apart within a year or two. Reaper released this line called Bones, and they were super dirt cheap. So, you know, when, when the model's down to 2 or $3, painting it is absurd. You, know, you, just, you can't do it for 2 or $3 no. with any level of detail. And even at, like, higher levels when we were, like, triple the retail price, it was still, like, 10 which was absurd. It's just too low. Um, my mistake was on the painting page, we put a disclaimer saying these rates are no longer valid, but we didn't put it on the homepage. So this guy, this client contacted me or a potential client. Um, pretty sure, pretty sure he's not going to buy from me. Uh, he, he, he uh, contacted me and when I quoted him what was going to be our new rate, uh, and I explained to him he wanted a character figure and I, I quoted him something like $40, uh, for the level of detail he wanted. And, uh, which is very commiserate with the industry. He was incredibly disappointed because he was hoping for something more like 10 and even though we negotiated back and forth and I worked, I tried to work with him on budget and I tried to come down and eventually I, I reduced it to something like $25 just to sort of be like, you know what? I'm sorry. I really want this to work. This is, and this is the lower than I ever do for character figures. I'll do 25 a piece. Um, and he just didn't respond. And so it was one of those things that I don't know, working with budget on clients is one of those areas that I wanted to work on. I wanted to not lose clients to other painters based on their budget because my, my instinct is they're going to be spending their money somewhere. So why not spend it with me if I can sort of figure out what, what is their bottom line? You know, does that make sense? How do you, how do you go about on your, on brushwork minis, how do you go about pricing? Um, it is something, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, trying to figure out how to break that down. Um, originally I had charged, it was like 
double the price of of the box set. Um, but my that would have been a better idea for me <laughs> from the get go. But again, it still falls apart when you get models where you've got like boxes of orcs that come with twenty miniatures, whereas Space Marines only come with ten, or a box comes with five. Right. So it doesn't work on a large scale, um, and it, it does fall apart. So I do have to come more to a an idea, get an idea of you know, what they're looking for, and generally have a price based on size of the model, how many you have. Sure. Level of paint job. Sure. It's the only way you can really get a good idea or a good estimate of what the value of that model is going to be. And this is something that when you um, when you first came here uh, a little a few, a few weeks well I guess a few, I guess a month ago now but um, we were sitting down and I was in the process of re- revising the rates for the new site and we talked a lot about um, like you helped me kind of you know it was nice to have another painter to bounce ideas off of in terms of painting and while I don't want to get, make this a whole show. Because I think we could do a show about client, you know, relationships and that sort of thing. And I think we should. Um, I completely lost my train of thought. Um, I, I think the point I was getting at is that I, I've had trouble sort of educating clients as to what is a fair price. Mm-hmm. Clients have a difficult... Some clients don't fully understand, like, what is a good price for this. Because when you think about, like, if I go out to Target and buy a t-shirt... I generally know, like, this is what a t-shirt costs at Target versus Walmart. But with the painting industry, it's really up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been looking at, a, I've, I've always looked at different people's sites to see how they price, and everyone does it differently. Some people do it the retail way, you know, double retail, triple retail. Some people do it per figure. Um, some people start at, like, $1,000 minimum. Some people start at $1,000 a figure. It really just depends. And so there's no standardization in the industry. Because of that, I think that finding the right client and matching it with their budget is, is hard. Um, so that's something that I've struggled with over the years, and we'll we'll definitely delve into that more um, in the near future. Um, the only other thing I have currently on my desk is I have a a, a Tau client, um, and this this kind of dovetails into the news and rumors section. So I'll use this as sort of a way to kind of dip into that. Is that I have a Tau client that has a, we're doing a Tau army in red, but it's not a Farseer army. Um, Farsight. Farsight. <laughs> Farseer, that's an elder, I think. Um, so it's not a Farsight army. It's a little bit different. Like, we're doing the missiles in white, but it's, and it's red and black, I think, or instead of, like, red and gray. Um, so that's a, that's going to be a, a really fun project. And that was another instance where the client had a kind of a... We had kind of worked it out, where he wanted something that was a little kind of fast. Like, we had to come to an agreement on terms of getting it out there fast. Um, not in terms of speed, but in terms of just not dedicating a lot of time to it. And for some painters, they have a hard time, I wouldn't say lowering their bar, but lowering their level. Like mm-hmm. just in terms of like, what is the, I heard this statement one time about what is, what do you paint towards? Is it for a tabletop? Is it for display? Uh, so in this instance, these guys just wanted something for the table. They wanted something quick and easy. And so that'll be coming together, uh, hopefully, hopefully in the near future, and we'll get that up. And you guys can take a look. Cool. Uh, all right, so we're going to go ahead and move on to uh, news and rumors because there's a ton of news and rumors out right now, and I'm I'm very excited about it. Um, Philip, what are you what are you most excited about on the on the rumor train right now? Well, uh, there's yeah a couple of things. The Tau, as you mentioned earlier, um, that is supposed to be coming, I believe, September 12th or the 19th. There's supposed to be a big announcement for that, and they're saying there's going to be a couple new suit kits, a new commander, all plastic. So I love Tau. That was one of the first armies I started with when I was playing sure. uh, about 15 years ago. Um, so very cool, very exciting. Um, Did you um, have you ever have you ever worked with the the resin commander? The, the, the uh, yes, I have. I had him. I gave him away. Yeah. he was. What are your thoughts on that kit? So, well, I mean, it's, that's just, uh, what is it, a fine cast yeah. in general? Well, just... not the fine cast aspect. I mean, the fine cast is, is sort of one thing. We could have a mm-hmm. whole podcast yeah. about that. But did you like the kid in general, or did you find it frustrating? It was. It is frustrating. It, it easily breaks. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot, it looks really cool. Yeah, A lot of flowing dynamic. parts, very dynamic, yeah. yes. Um, because it is in the fine cast, it wasn't the most smooth in some areas, yeah. and there were some issues with the mold itself. Sure. But um, it's my issue good... with it is the dynamic aspect is great, but he, he tends to tip. Yeah. So you have to weight him a little bit, and um, 
and transporting him is impossible. He's got those like flowing ribbons coming off yeah. that are just holding on by like a millimeter of area. It's, I it's agree. Bad. <laughs> That's one of the things I've noticed with the, with the better GW gets in terms of like releasing models or uh, not even just GW but anybody. They can make the the pieces smaller and smaller. Like uh, I recently put together a Durthu for the Wood Elves, and he has this whip that's super thin. But it's so thin that when you actually clip it off the sprue, if you clip it the wrong way, mm-hmm. it'll break. Yeah, and that happens with a lot of things. And I don't think the designers think about that too much. Like I wish they made things just a little thicker to prevent that versus the thinnest they can make it because. You know what tends to happen is it'll 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 break, it'll chip, and then it's like when you go to like people don't think about this, but when you scrape mold lines, uh, you have to really be careful because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you scrape a mold line, if it's on a piece that's too thin, it's very easy to break it, um, and then you know if the smaller the piece, the harder it is to glue and that sort of thing. Um, okay, so Tau, lots of Tau rumors. Have you seen the new giant? Uh, picture for the kit from Forge World. They have a new giant. Oh yeah, yeah. He's it's supposed good. to be like the uh, Titan version yeah. of the Tau. I don't think it's supposed to be like Warhound size. I think it's supposed to be more like a knight version or something okay. a little bit like it's not a knight version, but more like the giant knights. Well, I don't mm-hmm. really know what to call them. The uh, Celest. No, I can't. Something remember. like that. Yeah. Um, but the the ones that are like crazy tall, mm-hmm. like the tall boy knights. Um, so I think it's supposed to be about in par with that size, but he's just bristling with weaponry. He looks yeah, really good. It does. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about that one. Um, let's see what else. 30k, uh, Age of Heresy. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Age of Heresy? Uh, or the Heresy Age? Horus Heresy. Horus Heresy, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. I'm combining Age of Sigmar. Uh, are you a Horus Heresy enthusiast? Not really. I didn't follow it too much. I like the, uh, the story behind it and stuff, but the models, I never really got into that much. It, sure. Most of them just seemed like different variations of space marines older mark armors yeah. yeah the characters though have always been pretty cool yeah so i see a lot of great conversions out there for for 30k a lot of people have done like the emperor and the emperor's guard and stuff but it's it's hard to sort of do the chaos side of that and when i mm-hmm. think about 30k i almost always think about the emperor and all of his guards because that's what that's what they generally push they don't really you don't really see too many pictures of like the old chaos armor or that sort of thing so i, I think that's if I was excited about anything, that's what I'm sort of most excited about. Not because it's not useful to have 30k figures that don't have to be converted, but you know, just to have chaosy figures that are from that era that you don't have to yeah, convert. Very true. Um, because no one ever converts those for that for that era or that I've seen. Um, and I have no idea how other figures would look in 30k. Like I don't know what orcs were like back then. I don't know. Probably not changed at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. orcs are probably much yeah the same. Um, but uh, it would be kind of fun if then when they release 30k-ish stuff uh, that if they did uh, like a, a take back to sort of the older things. Like when mm-hmm. um, when Forge World did, um, when they re-released sort of pre-heresy era Space Marines, they made them look like the older kits. So I wish that would be kind of neat if they did that for like Orcs, where they made it look like second edition kits, but <laughs> in the size of, yeah. of, of fourth edition or fifth edition models. Um, all right, what else is out there? Let's see. There's a new Chaos Fort uh, coming out for um, oh, yeah. Age of Sigmar and battle tiles to go along with it. So lots of new terrain coming out there. Um, the, the the fort is is incredible. Um, my first thought as soon as I saw that was I wanted to build another um, uh, Skull Tower, which is a, a Baneblade variant for Chaos for the Corn Lords. Um, okay. Uh, for the for the Corn Lords, I don't know what I'm thinking. For the uh, for the I guess just corn. Uh, have you ever seen that? It's like basically it's a bane blade sized tank with a giant tower of skulls kind of off the top, and it's got a couple that. guns. Now no. it, it's kind of a fun older kit. It was never a kit; it's always a, a scratch build. But it was an epic okay. model, uh, and then people started doing it in 40k. I did one about a year ago, and it was a lot of fun. Cool. Um, see what else? Uh, Cricks for Privateer Press. They have uh, a new. I think it was called the Reckoning, but I'm not entirely for sure. But it has three new jacks coming out. And then Denegra on the Soul Weaver, which is like this giant worm dragon yeah, kind of thing. Like undead type thing. Yeah. Uh, scale wise, I think that's about on par with like one of the, the bigger gargantuan or colossals, I guess. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Is it a colossal or is it a, a I don't think it's a true colossal. I think it's the one step down from that. Okay. Um, I don't know what they call the step down from that, like war engines or war yeah, wagons so. or something like that. Um, so I think it's about that size. Uh, but we just did some cricks uh, a few weeks ago, so I would love if that client uh, recommissioned us to do that. That would be incredible. Definitely. We, we would love to play with that. Um, 
you mentioned you're working on Celestant. We're really anticipating the flesh hounds uh, that have not <laughs> Someday. reared their head. Um, and you mentioned very specifically earlier, like, the towel on this date. Do you ever find it frustrating when, when you hear a rumor that says, like, this date, and then the rumor doesn't prove true? Because how many times have we heard flesh hounds, like, they'll be out August 8th, or they'll be out this, yeah. or they'll be out that. And now, I don't even know where the rumor came from. Like, I don't remember if it was on a... a yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. I don't so, even know if they're coming out. Like, right. Because I'd be surprised if they release Tau and then don't finish sure. what they've already started with the corn and everything. So, I don't know. But I am excited for the new Lord Celeste and the bigger model that's coming out. That's yeah. already been photographed. They've got image leaks on that, too. So, that, it looks cool. It's supposed to be the size of Nagasha here. Yeah. Maybe not bulk-wise, but at least it's tall. So, he's kind of flying up with sure. huge wings. Yeah. Looks very cool. I think that looks great. It kind of reminds me of the um, the Saint Celestine from the Sisters of Battle. Did mm-hmm. you ever see see that figure? Yeah, kind of like this angelic. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. Someone, Which, I feel like someone scratch built one of the Celest the, the new figure. I saw one on Warsier or something where they had taken three prosecutors and put all their wings together and made hmm. kind of a poor man Celestine. Interesting. Which seems a little pushy because they don't even have rules. Yeah. So it's like you're just kind of uh, I don't really know. Uh, but it looks beautiful, beautiful figure. Could be cool too. That uh, thing about it as a um, scratch build model, maybe for Sanguinius or um, yeah, Primarch I think it, of the Blood Angels. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Sang- I hadn't thought about that. Well, yeah. So traditionally, I've seen, I've seen, I, I think it is Sanguinius. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen a scratch build Sanguinius for a while, but I feel like normally they'll do his wings like on fire. But I could yeah. totally see it doing more angelic. Because the way they do the wings for the prosecutor, it kind of looks like, I guess it's supposed to be beams of light maybe coming out? Yeah, I think Sanguinius is supposed to have actual wings. These are more like, yeah, like you're saying, like beams yeah. of light or some more yeah. steampunk type They're They're it. cool. Like, I like mm-hmm. it a lot, but I don't entirely understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does look really neat. Uh, on the ones we, on the ones you did, you kind of painted them almost like sort of a white bluish pearl. Mm-hmm. So it almost looks kind of like feathers or, or like opalescent pearl. It looks really nice. Uh, okay, so that's about it for news and rumors. Um, so we're going to move on. Oh, you know what? Actually, we have a commercial break first. So we'll be right back after this brief break. Hey guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to like at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're at like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people could be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial, like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information, and until you do, put your manis where your mouth is. Alright guys, and we're back. Uh, we are now going to move on to tips on technique, and this is the heart uh, of the show. This is sort of our main topic uh, of every new show in the new format. Uh, this week we're going to be tackling um, so- object source lighting, or OSL, as it's more commonly referred. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just as a brief overview, um, how would you describe uh, OSL, uh, Phil? Well, uh, typically, the object source lighting is referring to a specific object on the model that's providing the light. So, an example of this, or an easy example, would just be maybe a light on a tank. Like a, a, okay, yeah. like a like a searchlight. Like searchlight, yeah. yeah. So that's providing the main source of light. Generally, you've got your brightest areas, your focal attention's coming towards that light, and then there's usually some stark shadow or some good contrast to bring your attention to that. And you want to, typically, you have a couple areas like that when you do heavy, heavy OSL uh, on a miniature. But I feel a, like this technique, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a diorama back when they were doing Golden Demons. There was a diorama about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And it's this, um, like a vampire keep, and it's like a, a, a knight or something walking up a set of stairs and he's holding like a candle or a lamp or something. And, um, the, it's reflecting on the wall and, uh, it was, it was kind of the first time I feel like OSL had ever become mainstream in painting where it was, it was sort of like, here is a new 
way of doing and embrace it. And uh, not that it didn't exist before that, but that was the first time I feel like the mainstream really caught wind of it. Um, and then after that, you started to see people uh, attempting it all over the place and doing different versions of it and that sort of stuff. Um, I was trying to sort of trace back the origins of it before that, and I, I came across this term called um, chiaroscuro. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Let me see my... Yeah, chiaroscuro, which is uh, basically like a painting technique that they used to use, um, like Renaissance painters would use. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that you would sort of pinpoint the points of light and dark in a painting. A good example of this might be um, where you have a candle in the painting and the candle is giving off a source of light. So you intentionally darken down certain areas of the painting to make the lighter areas pop. Um, do you do you find that when you do OSL, OSL, you intentionally do that, or do you just kind of oversaturate the light areas with with light versus like intentionally darking down your model? Uh, it depends on how, what you're trying to convey. Like, I think for a really high level of painting, if you're trying to get like you know, showcase level work, you'll darken everything around it, sure, um, to show realistic shadows and darking areas. Um, if you're just doing something for tabletop, I would just, usually saturation, just highly saturate a certain area with, with that color, slowly building that color up to the brighter point sure. where that light's coming from. And we can distinguish OSL from zenithal highlighting in that zenithal highlighting normally, the, the presumption is that the light is coming from somewhere off the model. Like let's yeah, say the sun, the sun yeah. um, is the most common source for moonlight. Like when I, when I, sometimes when I do like a graveyard, I'll do like a moonlight. Mm -hmm. And because it's not on the diorama, it's presumed off the model. And therefore, it's it's zenithal, even if it's from the corner. Um, so with OSL, generally speaking, I would say all the time that this would be the primary difference is that the the point is an object or a point on the model, whether mm -hmm. it be a candle or a lamp or, or whatever. Um, so when we were sort of talking about this, we were kind of going over what are the different ways people approach OSL, um, like how do you how do you achieve it? So what I wanted to do was sort of just kind of go through different ways to do it so um you know the first way I, I i think i've ever seen before any sort of other technique was just simply probably just dry brushing really it was sort of the original osl yeah. like on that diorama where they just took thin layers of color and just sort of dusted it across a surface so for example if someone had like a, a lamp you know and the lamp they they were they sort of envisioned it was going to give off red and orange and yellow light then they would dust red, yellow, and, and like, you know, whatever, orange or, or red on the surface of like a wall or an adjacent surface and that sort of thing. Have you ever used dry brushing for that or for OSL? Not for OSL, no. no. And the problem is, as you mentioned, it, it gives a dusty effect yeah. and it really doesn't lend itself, I think, to OSL. Yeah. OSL should be much more smooth, um, which I would say brings us to the next type of way to paint it is doing like wet blending sure. or glazing. Sure. So why don't we distinguish what is wet blending versus what is glazing? Because mm -hmm. I think that there, we were talking about this earlier is that there's there's muddy water when it comes to what is wet blending, what is glazing, what is tinting, what is mm -hmm. washing. So I thought we would sort of take this opportunity to give our definitions of what these things are. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say with a wet blend, how do you define wet blending? So wet blending, is, as I've always seen it and I understood, was you are blending various colors on the model itself while the paint is still wet. Usually using some sort of drying retarder. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, um, I usually just do it with just regular water. Really? I don't actually add any retarder or anything. Um, I just find with, with acrylic base paints, they dry really fast. Yeah. Um, so not only on the brush, but also on the palette. Now, you use a wet palette, though, a lot of I times. I do, yeah. yeah. So that's probably one of the primary differences. I mean, <laughs> so. Uh, okay, so you just... And, and this is one of those things where with wet blending, people... Uh, a lot of times what I'll see is the two brush technique where they'll have two brushes and they'll they'll apply one color with mm -hmm. one brush, they'll apply one color with the other brush, and then they'll they'll kind of blend. So it's basically like mixing the color on the model. As opposed to on the palette. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that's definitely one way. Um, uh, another way I've seen is um, glazing, which uh, for me, kind of the general idea of glazing is, is multiple thin washes which rest on the surface of the model. Yeah. It's kind of the way I was always taught to sort of define that that's opposed to let's say a wash where the wash the general idea is for it to sink down into the crevices and also most of the time to darken like yeah. the general idea is to darken whereas a glaze is meant to accentuate a color 
for example, uh, a yellow glaze, like Lamenter's yellow is a good example of this. It's a way to sort of pull out a little extra pop of yellow. Mm -hmm. Like on the Crick's models, we did them, or you did them, and then uh, we were like, well, how do we get a little more pop out of that? So we added a yellow glaze, and that worked out really well with the highlights because then it sort of brought the green up to a yellow center, which looked really nice. Mm -hmm. And that one extra little step really helped it to pop. Um, do you differentiate glazing from, let's say, tinting? Or some people call it candy tinting or candy. Yeah. Like, this is where it gets kind of muddy. Yeah, and I, I do, I feel like a tint is just a simpler glaze. So usually if you want to tint something, in my opinion, you're just adding one layer of that color. Sure. Very thin, and just to give it a little bit of, uh, you know, color to, like, say, a gray or, uh, like, your sword or something, if you want to give it a little bit of a bluish tint, you uh -huh. know, over a gray steel uh, you can do just a little blue on there, and that will kind of bring it together. I think it's important to realize that with, um, and I I haven't really talked about this before, but um, my notion with painting is that you're sort of, and, and this, this gets into more applied technique, but as you thin out paints, the pigment gets more evenly applied, and the, 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 um, the, the gradation between one color to the next gets thinner, so it becomes a much smoother transition. Mm -hmm. And that's really where tints kind of shine is that you kind of just thin them yeah. out enough that you're just picking up some of the pigment so you're getting that sort of hint of color right. um so the, the only thing i would use to, to differentiate there is that um there's a technique that they use in airbrushing a lot called candy or candy is a type of paint and this is where it gets a little muddy but um candy paints or candy tints as they sometimes call them the idea is that it's a color that's very very thin down like a glaze but normally it only works over white, is the general notion, is that you can apply it over a dark surface, but you're not really going to get much. Um, so what they normally do is they'll say, like, use this over white. So what I found works really well, uh, and I'm going to use Minotaur as an example here, they have this beautiful color called plasma fluid, which is just this sort of light bluish color that is obviously meant to emulate, like, plasma guns in, in, in the GW line. Uh, but it also works for lots of other stuff. Generally what you do is you'll highlight up to um, a, a white epicenter, like a radiant center, and you'll do just a dash of white uh, to make your, your primary center. And then you just take a little bit of your candy glaze uh, or your candy tint, and you just basically spray it right over that white. And what happens is the white absorbs a little bit of the color, so it gets a, basically a very bright white bluish color. Mm -hmm. And then because the tint is resting over darker colors, which don't make it show up as well, you get a natural blend. So it, it sort of blends out over color. Um, so the effect is a really easy OSL. Yeah. Um, with the exception of the fact that the epicenter is always white, which you may not always want in OSL, because maybe the epicenter... I mean, generally, I, I like a nice white radiant center because we... I think as a society have decided everything's white at the center, whether it be heat or whether it be a laser gun yeah. or a lightsaber. It's always, it's always like a tent of white. Um, so yeah, so those are some of the different ways to, to make it work. What is your favorite or, or the, the most, e the, your favorite way to sort of, to do that? Like um, when you do OSL, how do you normally do it? For me, it really depends on the size of the miniature. So uh, if it's a smaller miniature, then I definitely prefer to do glazing. Sure. Um, you have more control over it, and uh, it just it has less chance of it getting sloppy. Um, airbrushing is great for larger miniatures, but you just can't do it on a small scale. So. And what about, because I know that a lot of people who probably are not airbrush uh, users and who are just more airbrush, you know, uh, I wouldn't say wannabe. Wannabe is the wrong word. But people who don't really have practical experience with it, mm -hmm. they they I I've heard and some people believe like you can use an airbrush to do anything if it's the needle small enough. Like you could even dot an eye with it. And the smallest needle I've ever used is a point three, mm -hmm. which is as far as I know one of the finest needles there there is. I don't know if there's even one smaller than that. There might be. Mm -hmm. um, if there is, it's a very specialty airbrush. But you know, and one of the things that comes in with airbrushing a lot is hand eye coordination. Have you ever tried to dot an eye with an airbrush? Like, have you? I uh, don't. I don't know who's ever. It's not who practical. Said that. It's, it's, I don't yeah. think it's possible. There's. Um, it's too small. Yeah. Like even I th the smallest needle I've heard of, I think, is a point uh, one five. Jeez, that's, that's that's like half the size of a point yeah. three. Um, which, to give you a general idea, like a point three might be the size of like I don't know, smaller than a toothpick. Yeah, it's pretty small. Certainly. Um, and then uh, that size would be like 
like a pin, like yeah. a pin needle, basically. Um, so the notion is that the thinner the needle, the less the amount of paint that comes out. But also with that, you have to use thinner and thinner paint. Yep. So the, the smaller the needle, the, smaller, the thinner the paint, and that means it gets runnier if you break it down too much. Yep. So really, I think point three is about the last time I've ever practically been able to use paint um, because then the pigment gets too thick for the, the hole. Um, yeah. And you don't think about the atomization of that, but it doesn't really work out. Um, so lots of different ways to do o OSL. Um, I would say that airbrushing is certainly the easiest way for the most part. Um, but as you sort of pointed out on smaller models, what you get is you get a lot of bleed. You get spill. Yeah. Um, you get that that sort of uh, I don't know if bleed's the right word, but you get just there's there's a technical term for it where they where they say it's like um, overspray. That's the technical yeah. term. So if I'm spraying, let's say um, a guy has um, I don't know a laser sword like a lightsaber, um, maybe the overspray is something I want because I want that 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 spray to hit certain parts of the model where it's going to look like it's a glowing effect or a popping effect. But the problem with the airbrush is that it can overspray mm -hmm. and it can get too far. Like, let's say he's holding a sword that glows in his right hand, and you hit the airbrush on him the wrong way, you may have light coming from an angle that's just not really accurate yeah. in terms of how the, the, the effect would be applied. So when you use a wet blend or a glaze, then you have more practical control over that. Um, in fact, that'll, that'll take us right into tutorial of the week. Um, so we'll move on there. Tutorial of the week is when we talk briefly about... Um, any tutorial we have found online that complements the show topic. Uh, in this case, we found this wonderful one from Jay Adon called A Look at OSL, um, and we'll provide a link in the show notes. Um, are you familiar with Adon's work at all? I think that's actually one of the first tutorials I've seen of his. The first time I ever heard about him was on the Independent Characters. They used to talk about Adon, Adon all the time. And I didn't know who he was, and I started to look him up. And um, I follow him on Flickr, and he's just... He's really great. Mm -hmm. He just he does really top notch work, um, and and he's a painter that I think does more. He's more quality over quantity. Like if you follow his blog, you'll see that he does fewer figures, but they're every one of them is amazing. And when you look at his pricing, he he very clearly says I I paint to one standard, um, and it's a high standard. Yeah. So he's the kind of guy you definitely want to go to for like character figures or that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Versus white metal, where we do more bulk. Um, and I don't know if you really, I think you're kind of a good mix. Like you do really nice detail. Yeah. Um, I prefer to work on smaller scale yeah. and do high level. Sure. But, um, sure. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so with a look at OSL by Jay Adon, he basically shows you, he, he has a, a female dark elf figure from like a D and D ish loafing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she's got dark skin and she's holding like a crystal or something in her right hand. And it's got a purple glow. And he basically applies very thin, um, I would say like wet, wet blends, onto her hair and some of her clothing. And he shows you how he builds it up very, very slowly. And he actually uses a few washes, too, to kind of get the underlying colors. So he'll, he'll apply like a thin down purple wash, and he'll kind of settle that onto the areas he wants. He, he applies it with great control. Um, and he doesn't really let it bleed out on the period places he doesn't want. What did you get out of the tutorial? Yeah, um, so you'll notice when he during the video, he actually starts with the darker areas first, um, and then slowly starts building out the white, which is pretty common. Um, he called it wet blending. I actually thought it was more glazing, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, that's just, I guess, one of those differential differentiations. Or yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he uses a lot of thin layers and starts building it up and shows the glow. I like a lot how he showed, um, the purple on the different materials. So he goes over how sure. the purple would reflect on the fabric versus the hair, sure. which was beneficial to see, um, and helpful to understand because they definitely do have different properties or light looks different on different materials. So, right. um, he covers that nicely, I think. I think that when you get into that, like that sort of level of detail is what separates, um, and I would definitely call him a pro painter, that mm -hmm. separates him from, let's say, a generic tabletop painter. Um, even like me, like he, he really paid attention to how this would reflect versus how that would reflect. Whereas most of the time when I'm doing a, a big project for a client, I don't have time to sit there and think about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I just generally try to get it out. I wouldn't say too quickly, but, you know, I don't sit there and go, how would this look on fur versus how would this look on, right. on leather? I kind of just go, it's, it's going to be purple. Um, <laughs> and thin it out. Uh, I do think this is sort of a good instance to, to sort of make a point about how light 
looks and um, one of the properties of light and I've read this and I'll sort of get your two cents on it is that um, when light spreads out from an area um, you have to think about how the light looks at different distances so I'll, I'll use an example I'll use lava as a really good example because this is one of those things that I think most people tend to get right um, but whenever you see a lava effect lava tends to glow like this bright red and then you think about where should the light be darkest where should it be lightest um, how far should the light travel, that sort of thing. So what I generally tend to do is I'll start with my darkest color and work my way in um, and brighten up as I go. Um, and I've also read that some lights travel farther, like dark light travels this far, light light goes travels this far. Do you ever, when you do OSL, get into that sort of level of detail, or do you just kind of generally give it a, um, this is what I'm trying to achieve and this is how I'll quickly get there? Yeah, again, it depends on what level or how, sure. yeah, if I'm trying to go for a showcase standard or just something basic. Um, obviously, showcase, you want to show that shadow and get an idea or have a good understanding of how far that light does travel. Sure. Um, but if you're just going for something quick, then, yeah, you know, <laughs> you can't spend that much time doing, figuring out all the shadows and lightings. And I think this goes back a little bit to client relationships, at least for me. It's, it's sort of a question of how much time do you want to spend on an effect to get your mm -hmm. point across? Um, and the only last point I'll make on OSL um, before we move on is that don't forget the object portion of the object source lighting. Make sure it's an object that would legitimately glow. And this can range. Like I think, you know, generally most people would agree like a candle or a lantern is a good idea. But you talked earlier about a focal point on a model. So mm -hmm. we're all exposed to miniature and science fiction gaming enough that we can presuppose that certain items might glow, like a sword that's magical, like Sting in, in mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings movies or whatever. Um, and we, we realize that that glows, you know, when he's around orcs or whatever, so that gives you all sorts of fun ideas. But when it's on a generic model that you don't really have a point of, of context for, you have to really sort of think about, will this make sense to the viewer? Yeah. Will this, like, if, I, if this guy is holding a sword, will it make sense that the sword is glowing? Or if he's holding, let's say, something else, will that make sense that that's glowing? So just think about whether or not that object makes sense for it to glow Definitely. in terms of the viewer. Definitely. Um, all right, well, we're going to move on to product review. And this week it is uh, Philip's turn to go. So, Philip, what are we reviewing this week? All right, so in, uh, in lieu of, as we're talking about OSL, I figured a good an airbrushing as a form of technique for that. Uh, I wanted to talk about one of the airbrushes that I was using originally. Um, I still use it's called the Neo Furiwata. Um, the reason I mentioned this one is because it does have that 0.3 needle uh, that Caleb was mentioning earlier. Can it be upgraded? Because I use a Sotar, but I can actually use bigger needles on that. Can the Neo go bigger? It, does, it actually comes standard with a 0.5. Nice. So the 0.3 you'd have to buy separately, um, but that's what's going to allow you to get at least a good uh, OSL effect on yeah. models. You need at least a 0.3 to really get that effectively. 0.5 is too big. Um, but it's also an affordable airbrush. Yeah. A lot of the airbrushes nowadays you'll find are like $100 or more. This one, uh, I've seen ranges between 70 and 90 So yeah. it's a good introductory brush. It gets the, you have a lot of detail. It's got the functionality that you want in an airbrush for miniature painting. Sure. The two things that I've always, uh, that are crucial, um, are the type of feed that you get. So there's two types of feed. There's gravity feed, mm -hmm. and then there's siphon feed. Gravity, gravity feed is normally the cup on top, where the paint correct. flows down, gravity pulls it down. Exactly. And siphon feed's the decanter on the bottom that, that pulls up. Like a straw, yeah. I, I will point out that one of the advantages of a siphon-fed airbrush is that you can load more paint. Mm -hmm. like that's, in my opinion, generally the biggest advantage of it. And when I use a spray gun, they're almost always, well, not almost always, but um, I, I burn through paint really fast. So having a siphon feed can be useful yeah. in terms of you can load up three or four different bottles early and then just just change over color very quickly versus, yeah. let's say, uh, a, a, a gravity feed where you have to clear the old color, maybe you have to wash, and it just depends on the type of work you're doing. True, very true. So for OSL, and you've mentioned this to me before, one of the nice things about, um, and when we first met you had talked about this with your NEO, it's a cheap enough airbrush that you can get two of them. So for blending, you could easily, like, let's say, oh, actually, this is someone else I was talking to, but this still applies. Um, the notion being that if you wanted to use different colors and blend, you could easily, you know, I'm not saying everyone should have two airbrushes, but if you wanted to, you could do that and you could blend more readily. Mm -hmm. Or if you wanted to quickly work in from one color to the next, you could do that too. 
Um, like for example, let's say you're making a, a blue glow, you're going to need at least a couple colors there. You're going to need a dark, a blue, a light, right. a blue, that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that for some of our listeners, like that will make perfect sense in terms of a, 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 an airbrush. What about for non-airbrush users? Do you find, is there anything mm-hmm. that you recommend for, for OSL that's not an airbrush? Yeah, so we were talking about wet blending. Um, I find for wet blending, some of the best brushes that used to are actually watercolor brushes. Um, now, I use, I have two from Windsor Newton, mm-hmm. Windsor 7 Series. They're expensive brushes. You're looking at 15 to $20. Some of them even go way, way high, but those are for their massive ones. Um, what sizes are these brushes? Are we just talking like standard brush sizes? Just Yeah, the... Two, the one that was $20 was a size one, which would be like a standard brush. Right. Uh, the triple zero was about 14 or $15, and that's a very fine detail. Sure. But they hold water very well, and they allow you to blend very easily, and they are hold there, a point Are the well. bristles different when you say they hold water well? Are, mm-hmm. they, are the bristles like of a different... Like a lot of times with, um, let's say, um, uh, what do they call those things? Some brushes use like a red sable, and it's yeah. a type of fur, or, or, or like not yeah. a fur, but a... Uh, it's like a hair. I think I use a coarse hair yeah. sometimes for different things. People um, don't realize that, but that's mostly what your brushes are made mm-hmm. out of. Is they're made out of some sort of hair, or they're synthetic, or they're synthetic. Those are generally not the ones that you want to use. These, I, you know, I don't actually know. I think they're, I want to say brown sable. Maybe I'm not exactly sure what they use for their sure. But in either hairs, case, but... because they hold uh, more more liquid, mm-hmm. you what does that in terms? Of like the OSL, does it just give you more paint to apply, more time to work? It allows you more time to work. It holds the water in a way that doesn't just gush off the brush. Sure. So you're able to control it very easily, and because it, they're well made, they hold a point. I mean, I've been able to paint eyes with a size one brush, and that's a standard brush. I mean, they're big. Sure. And you can still get very good detail even with a large brush. So they, you just have a lot of control, and it's great for any kind of blending techniques that you're trying to do. If you're ever in front, this is all of our listeners out there, your your load is important on a brush. So if you, you want a brush that can take a good load, and by that I mean like can hold a lot of paint, but don't overload your brush. If mm-hmm. you overload your brush, you're going to get a lot of, when you first touch the brush to the model, you're going to get a lot of spillover. You're just going to get a lot of extra excess paint that don't, not only mars detail, but is going to drip into areas you don't want, and you got to clean it, and it doesn't really work. And you also so, ruin your brush if you're not careful you too, because it'll brush. soak up into the funnel, yeah. and then you'll get it inside the brush itself, or it'll push the uh, the bristles apart slowly, yeah. even as it dries. Like the pigment will kind of slowly kind of push them apart, and then you lose your point. Yeah, um, and that's obviously the most important thing when it comes to a brush. What you're looking for. Um, I also use the Sotar, which is um, similar to an NEO. Uh, not in terms of price, they tend to go for a lot more, but in terms of size and scale. Um, and as you were mentioning earlier, you want a smaller needle. It is important to point out, I think, that a lot of brushes allow you to use a smaller needle, but you have to have different adjustments. Like mm-hmm. with, with mine, when I want to use a smaller needle, I have to change the tip. So I needed a yep. different tip. I needed a different um, uh, nozzle. So on, And I needed a different needle. So, you know, typically... You know, when I'm because re- I'm replacing parts on my airbrush all the time, mostly because I'm an idiot and I lose them. But uh, if I replace a needle, it's like 15, 20 bucks. If I replace a nozzle, it's like 10, 15 bucks. Yeah. If I replace, uh, you know, the whatever. So I can easily spend 30, 40, 50 dollars to basically go from one needle to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you consider the price of an airbrush, like, I don't know, what do you pay for an NEO? Like, it's like 70 to 90, I think. Yeah, fine. that's almost half the price of the airbrush. Yeah. So I've considered many times just buying extra airbrushes just for parts, almost like a mechanic buying a, a car <laughs> to break it down. Um, so what uh, when you do um, OSL with your airbrush, what uh, PSI do you normally use? Yeah, so this is another thing I wanted to mention. The So you will need a couple of other things in order to use this airbrush. Uh, you do need a, or to do OSL. Uh, you will need a regulator uh, to control the PSI. And generally... Um, I think most compressors these days come with a regulator, but some, do, yeah, yeah, some do, but not all. So if you don't, I had to buy mine separate. Sure. Um, but the regulator, I, I say usually about five to ten psi when you're trying to do fine detail. That is a really low psi. Yeah, and you'll need 0.3 mount nozzle. I don't think you can do that on a 0.5. I've never had much luck with it. Yeah. Yeah. Not with a so 0.5. It's you definitely have to have it very thin, as we mentioned earlier. Um, but for those fine details, you need to, about five to ten psi. Um, you can go maybe as high as 15 to 20 for some of the larger 
areas. That's normally about when I rock yeah. it. When I, I, I find that if I go below 15, it, the paint has to be so thin, mm-hmm. and I get clogs, and it's just, you know, for me, yeah. it's a bigger problem. And that could be that the Sotar just doesn't, you know, the, the nozzle just doesn't like it below 15 PSI. It's just the pigments that I use on the paints I prefer are too thick. And I don't know what paints you use and that sort of stuff, but... Um, but it could just be for the NEO, it just has a better nozzle or a wider nozzle or, yeah. or whatever. Um, speaking of airbrushing, um, GW, and I don't know why we didn't mention this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're about to release brand new um, airbrushes, airbrush paints. Um, so they're finally getting with the time. Yeah, but... They've I, had a Citadel spray gun. Did you ever use the Citadel spray gun? Yeah, well, it was like a $15 gun. It was right. only really for basing your army. Right. And that was a siphon feed. So, like, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. you can crank out a whole bunch of base colors quickly, yeah. Yeah. which is great. It's pretty but, good. The control was really poor. Was it? Uh, yeah, it, and uh, you had to use a CO2 tank that didn't have an adapter. Um, I adapted mine to my tank. I, I actually, like, cut off the original line feed and used a, a different line feed so I could actually use it on a compressor. Um, but the needle was so big that you really couldn't go very thin. So the, 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 I always had trouble getting the right mix. And it's important to point out, I think, that spray guns and airbrushes are different, and they, are, they do make spray guns that are great for basing armies that are not airbrushes, that are bigger. Like, the needles okay. are, are huge. They're yeah. like, you know, 0. 0.8 or whatever. Um, but, you know, anyway, this is neither here nor there. What is your thoughts on, on GW's new airbrush line? Well, without uh, going too much into a rant on it, I mean, it's exciting that they're doing that, but as everyone, or a lot of people have already kind of pointed out, it's not in a dropper format. So right. you have to either use in a dropper tool yourself or, or buy like an eyedrop tool to remove the paint and put in your uh, pot or whatever. Why it, do you think that was? Why do you think that they just didn't go ahead? Do you think it was just a simple like, well, we've already got these paint pots? <laughs> I, that would be my guess. Yeah. I, they claim that it wastes less paint. I don't know is, how. I don't see how that's That doesn't possible. make any sense at all. So, The uh, only reason I could see that making sense is if the paints were not thin to the right amount, and then you had to add them in yourself. But then, if that's the case, why wouldn't I just buy the more concentrated form? Well, I think they. I think their claim was that you know unused paint at the end of your airbrush, you can just pour back into the pot easily, which you could technically do with any kind of airbrush to paint. Most of them pop that's off. true. But once you have a decent idea of what you're doing, like, right. you usually have a good way of guessing. You always want to add, you can always add more paint. You, right. it's, there's easy ways to counteract that. And now it's just, you've created a burden for people who want to use an airbrush. I agree. So I, and I would say that the other side of that coin is whenever I try to pour paint, first off, don't make the mistake that I made my first time of trying to spray it back in the No. Because <laughs> I made that mistake only once. Yeah. And, uh, Disaster. Yeah, oh my gosh, that was a nightmare. Um, because the paint just came out too hard and too fast. Yeah. But um, whenever I do try to pour it back into the paint pot, normally it, the paint, you know, it's just it's just kind of a pain mm-hmm. uh, because of the fact that the paint runs out of the decanter or the, the, the siphon feed pretty, uh, or the gravity feed pretty slowly. So most of the time I just, what I do is I'll keep a few extra models on my desk and if I'm priming and I have leftover primer in my airbrush, I'll just be like, well, this needs to get primed too, and I'll go ahead and burn it out. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have models that are like halfway primed, and then over the course of a week or two, they'll get primed. And this is normally for personal projects, not client projects. But as you said, as you get more proficient with it, you will start to learn how much paint you really yeah. need. And I definitely would recommend, like when I was starting off painting, don't be afraid to use more paint than you already have, or than, that you have. Um, don't be afraid to waste paint. In regards it, to airbrushing? In, in, well, in airbrushing or any kind of thing you mm-hmm. do, just because so many times like I would try and be like, oh, I'm going to be you know, smart, not waste paint, just use a little bit. Sure. And you end up, takes more time, you waste, you actually end up wasting paint doing that. Um, and you'll learn over time the appropriate amount of paint to use. So let it be a learning lesson as opposed to trying to you know, guess from the get-go how much paint you're going to use. Just put as much as you just put enough in there to you know get the job done. Put a little extra if you think you'll need it, and then you know gauge it that way. Good advice. All right, guys, we're going to move on to our one-minute rant, which is our second-to-last segment of the show. Um, so last time I kicked it off, I'm going to give Philip the pleasure of kicking it off this time. So Philip, I think that hopefully this time you're going to. It, it wouldn't be hard to pass what we did last time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, last time was really a rant, more of a, <laughs> more of a general displeasure. Um, but, um, so I'm, I'm, I, I, I know what you're going to rant about, but I'm super curious. 
see how viewers react to it. So, all right, are you prepared, sir? Sure. All so, right, we're going to put one minute on the clock. So two things, really. Um, I'm going to be ranting about, uh, we already just mentioned the eyedropper failure on GW's part, why they didn't put it into a squeeze bottle. Same thing with Forge World, did the exact same problem. They, That's true, uh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, they did the same mistake. I don't understand why. Um, so we've already ranted about that enough. Uh, the other thing, um, airbrush haters, <laughs> people who claim that airbrushing is cheating, um, or easy or too easy. Yeah. Uh, that it's just wrong. It's, it's not an easy tool to learn. It's very hard to master and it takes a lot of effort. Um, it's not a cheap way to start either. You've got to invest oh, no. time and money and, um, there's a huge learning curve. There's a lot of tutorials you can find on how to use an airbrush online um, but it's, I don't understand how you can call it cheating. I mean, I think their general notion is that a lot of times they'll see big, big models that rely on big OSL, mm -hmm. like, um, I don't know, a guy with a big glowing sword, like Nagash is a really good example of this. Mm -hmm. I've seen some people paint him up and he's mostly painted with airbrush and OSL and they think that that's easy. But yeah. it's really, it's like any tool, it's an application of technique. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to carry right off, right on with your airbrush haters because I also agree that it's like any technique. It's a tool. You learn to use it. And it's not easy because no. I've tried to teach people how to airbrush. And I kind of had to learn on my own. And I've gone through three or four airbrushes that, you know, just got so clogged because I wasn't taking good care of them that I basically, they were ruined. Mm -hmm. um, and not knowing the right PSI to apply. And on top of that, if you drop your paintbrush on the floor, you just pick it up and wash it off and you can just go right on with your day. I lost a nozzle one time. I spent four hours tearing <laughs> my garage apart looking for it because I couldn't continue with the airbrush unless I had it. Now I buy backup parts for my airbrush. So I'll have an extra nozzle, an extra needle, or extra whatever. But those parts cost $10, 15 20 30 $40 a piece in some cases. So the most expensive brush out there is still cheaper mm -hmm. comparatively to all of the pieces that make up my airbrush. Um, and if I drop a little nozzle that's the size of, like, a pen tip, that can completely stop progress. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, just it's something to think about, too, for, for people who are questioning whether or not to get an airbrush or not um, as a might be like a tool for cheating type thing it's if you actually go back through history and look at artists you'll actually find that a lot of them use special tools in order to get certain effects sure um i can't think of the exact terms of things but some of them would actually grid out a canvas and then paint on a grid um some of them would use certain tools to be able to like they could look through with one eye and it would huh. help break up the picture and everything so they could and then apply it towards the canvas yeah and this was goes back all the way to you know 1500s, earlier than before that. So, and these are master painters, um, people that are you know revered nowadays. So there's really no, there is no cheating in art, at all. There it doesn't matter what. I would agree because if the final product looks great, yeah, then then how you got there, I think. And a lot of times when I see a, a painting tutorial using an airbrush, what I like to do is I'll kind of start with an airbrush. I'll, I'll do my base work with an airbrush. Mm -hmm. I'll block in my major colors wherever I can with an airbrush. But then that's it. Yeah. Then it, it comes down to brushwork. And, like, I have to block in the other colors that I can't get to. You know, if I have to do finer details, there are certain things an airbrush can't do. So it's not yeah. like I've only painted one or two figures where they were so big and the detail was so, I don't want to say bland, but big, blocky, that I could use the airbrush for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but most of the time, an airbrush is a start. It's yeah. like... It's like anything else. It's a good way to, to begin. It's like when you mow your grass uh, with your lawnmower. No one thinks of that as cheating because then I have to go in with a weed whacker and get the edge. Yeah. It's efficient. It's efficient. What it's is absolutely it? yeah. efficient. Efficiency is not cheating. <laughs> um, so, yeah, airbrush haters, what the hell? Stop <laughs> hating. Get your own airbrush. Try it out and uh, let us know how that works out for you. Uh, if anyone disagrees with this, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> Uh, and that is it for us. That takes us into our outro. We are out of here this week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this discussion on object source lighting. Uh, kind of dovetail it into a discussion of, uh, of airbrushing uh, quite a bit. But that's, that's okay because that is one of the many and probably my favorite techniques for, for, for mm -hmm. OSL. So I hope you've gotten something out of it this week. Um, Philip, do you have any sort of final thoughts today? No. Uh, you know, um... 
thanks for listening guys and uh stopping by and uh hopefully you guys will take some time to actually try this out uh try some airbrush please leave comments let us know how it worked out for you absolutely and uh if there's anything that we can of course do to improve the, um, you know our podcast absolutely yeah we're, this is our, our newer format we're excited about the format we're um, we're not only putting this on itunes but we're also putting this on um uh, on, well it's on the white metal games website channel uh, on youtube which is youtube slash white metal games um, and then you can also find this on itunes if you just look for war council on itunes um, this is episode 12 on object source lighting my name is caleb dylan with white metal games and war council is a podcast dedicated to the miniature painting hobby and I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. Um, and until next time, guys, we hope to hear have you back and uh, put your minis where your mouth is. Mm-hmm.